and welcome to Business Disability Forum's podcast, Business Disability Debates, brought to you with the help of our sponsor, HSBC. I'm Diane Lightfoot and I'm Chief Executive of Business Disability Forum and I'm delighted to host the first in our new short series of podcasts to examine and discuss the topic of neurodiversity in the workplace to coincide with the launch of our new neurodiversity toolkit. Sponsored by Microsoft, our Neurodiversity Toolkit aims to help you become more inclusive to neurodiverse employees, customers, clients and service users. It has advice on workplace adjustments, creating positive environments and recruiting neurodiverse talent. It's available free to all our members and partners and has been created with the help of our members and partners BBC Cape, Santander, PwC, HSBC, Oracle and Willis Towers Watson, plus our expert partners, do It Solutions, Genius Within and Lexic. So I'm delighted that my guest today for the first in the series is Professor Amanda Kirby, CEO of Do It Solutions and campaigner for neurodiversity. Hello, Amanda, and thank you for joining me today. Hello, Diane. Thank you for asking me. Pleasure to have you here. Um, so, Amanda, could you kick us off by telling us a bit about your background and what you do? Sure. So I'm a sort of three-headed animal in the sense is that um, I'm a professor of, of, of developmental disorders. I'm a GP, a, a doctor, qualified doctor, working in adult psychiatry, and well, I've probably four hats in actual fact, um, uh, and also CEO of Do It Solutions. But most of all, I'm a parent and grandparent of neurodivergent children, and I have a very neurodiverse family. So living it really and breathing it uh, in all senses of the world. That makes you an extremely well qualified person, I think, to be uh, to be heading up this series. Um, and we've been chatting um, a little bit in the prep for this, haven't we, about what the world looks like post COVID-19. And with my optimistic hat on, I'm not sure how many hats I've got, but my optimistic hat's definitely there. I think we have a once in a generational chance really to reinvent the workplace. And I'm really interested in your thoughts about what this might mean for our neurodiverse colleagues. I think we do. I think one of the things that can positively come out of this incredibly challenging time is that we've been able to flip the workplace. So the fact that many of us have been working from home and using technology like we're doing now, podcasts, Zoom, breakout rooms, all sorts of technology, synchronous and asynchronous, has allowed us really to think about how do we work in a different way and how do we work in a way that suits each one of us? Wouldn't have had that conversation perhaps four or five months ago. And so and what has actually happened is that this has flipped quickly and maybe would have taken years to put in place. But actually, we've now got this practice in so many areas of business that it means that we are on a different platform now than we would have been four or five months ago. I think this opens up for neurodiverse colleagues the opportunity to work in ways that suit each one of us best. And if we say neurodiversity is all of us and we all have different communication styles um, and strengths and perhaps challenges, some of us will prefer some communication ways you know, than others. This allows us to have those dialogue, this way of communicating and discussing this now like we're doing it this way that we wouldn't have had. 
Yes. And that whole thing about us all being neurodiverse, because we are all different and we do need different things. And that focus on seeing people as individuals, I think, is is really, really important. And um, I'm just reflecting on um, a Teams call I had with somebody, someone with autism, um, quite early on during lockdown. And he said, I, I'm used to working from home. I always work from home. But people now want to have calls with me all the time and find out if I'm OK. Yes, I'm OK. I'm still OK. Stop calling me. And it made me sort to think about extroverts and introverts and how how the workplace is maybe generally wired towards extroversion and actually we're now in a, in a place where introverts can thrive and people who like to communicate in different ways can thrive and, and do things differently. I think the, the difference as well is that we can there isn't one right or wrong so we flipped to working from home but actually we're going to be in an interim phase now where some of us are going we're in work because we have to be in work because that's where the only place you can be you have a choice of going back as businesses go back what does going back mean and also it depends on your jobs it depends on uh, the day of the week what you need to do so there's going to be a, a, an increasing discussion about What's the most appropriate way to conduct your business at each day and each time and each context? And that's going to change the dialogue we have or, or the trialogue or the multilogue <laughs> in actual fact, because we can now have a conversation which says, I prefer to have my screen on, my, my screen off. I think I've seen more about more of myself in the last few weeks than I ever want to see again. That's one of the things I don't like with Zoom and things. I keep seeing myself, which in a, normally in a meeting, you don't see yourself, you know, in a face-to-face -face meeting. But I think it's going to, we, we're now moving into this next phase, which says, I, I prefer this. I prefer to have my screen on, my screen off. I prefer to have a live chat. I prefer to work from home most of the time, but can I come in some of the time? We wouldn't have had those conversations. And for somebody who's neurodivergent who prefers a quiet setting or prefers to walk around to have a conversation or prefers that actually they are neurodivergent and they're managing their home and caring for somebody, what it does provide is choice. And, and I think that's enormously um, opens up opportunities for, for people in different work settings now that perhaps they wouldn't have had before. I completely agree with you. And just thinking back to a few months ago, the amount of businesses who were a bit funny about requests for homeworking. And we see from our advice service that it's the most frequently um, requested adjustment. So homeworking or flexible working or different times and hours, that was quite often a bit of a, a trust issue, dare I say, and that sort of comfort in knowing that you've got all your people lined up outside your outside your door at their appointed place at the appointed time. There was a, quite a lot of fear in some organisations, and I, sh I should say, of course, that many of our members and partners, by definition, are extremely um, positive about flexible working and very progressive. But there were still others who were just, oh, no, it's not going to work. And they've, they've proven that it can and it does. And I really hope that we can hold on to that and have this mixed and blended economy that actually opens up opportunities for people to work in a different way that suits them and to thrive at work. I think there is, um, we've got a, a balancing act going on here as well for well-being. So what I've seen over the last few, few weeks is a bit of 
um, product, what I've seen called productivity porn. So you actually have uh, some people having to show I'm busy and I'm online all the time. Lots of emails going about, lots of chat going and, and worrying that they might be seen as not being productive enough. So high levels of heightened levels of anxiety. Then you've got other people saying, well, actually, I work best early in the morning and I do my best work in the first few hours. I'm much more productive at these times, but the rest of the team don't come on to another time. So we're having to learn and work out new rules. And I think that's what's happening over this period of time, which was it was a bit like in the early days. It was like, how do we do this? And there were some skills gaps as well. So some people had to get up to speed of using webinars and zoom and different techniques and we've still got those gaps and i think we do need to make sure moving forward if we're going to have inclusive working practices that we don't miss out on some people need digital skills training they may need to think about their communication styles and what's the best thing for them and um, and managers might need to think about how do you get the most productivity out of your team when it's a neurodiverse team and what does it mean if people aren't online and showing you they're online all the time in terms of long-term well-being for your team as well? So I think we're having to work that out at the moment too. Yes, and the, the whole thing around screens and whether you have them switched on or not. Um, so we're talking on Teams and we've both got our cameras on, but actually understanding that there may be all sorts of reasons why people don't want to turn their, their camera on because maybe they're juggling caring or, or previously homeschooling or maybe like me, they've got builders in or, or what for whatever reason, but then still being able to check that people are okay when you can't actually see them and have those visual cues. I think that's the other thing is is not making assumptions, is that when somebody doesn't have their camera on, it's not perhaps that they are being unfriendly or don't want to communicate. It might be that they can focus and concentrate and write notes at the same time and they need to walk around. So again, I think it's opening those conversations with line managers, with your teams to talk about that in a more open way. And yeah, it may not be acceptable to see my untidy office. I may not want you to see my untidy office. Uh, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because when we go to work, we portray a certain sense of who we are. And, and that bit of sometimes we will talk about portraying your authentic self. Well, sometimes I want to leave my authentic self at home and I want to portray my work self. I may not want you to see that, you know, what I am at home. And I think that's that respect over the bits we want to share with different people. We allow that to be how happen. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't have to expose all of ourselves, I think, sometimes. <laughs> No, I, I have um, I have referred to it in some blogs as almost like kind of workplace armour. I confess a couple of weeks ago and I, I was cycling in and I got a puncture. And so I was late in and I had to do my first um, Teams call and without the benefit of having managed to get changed out of my horrible cycling kit. I didn't turn the camera on for that one. <laughs> I thought I would, I would spare others the sight of that. So, so how do you think we can capitalise on all this to make the so-called new workplace, if you like, more appealing when hiring neurodiverse talent? Well, I think the hiring processes need to be fair and inclusive. I think that's really important. And if we're going to be doing things like virtual hiring, which we may well be doing more of, this is a new set of skills. I think that's one of the things which is really important. It's a new set of skills for line managers and it is for potential candidates. 
So we need to decide what does that mean? Um, and so that we're attracting talent and we're not putting people off. That's about accessible websites. It's about the job descriptions, which aren't cookie cutters taken from another job description, which says, and everything else, you know, and to include, you can do anything. Uh, so how do we get better job descriptions that mean that people go, okay, I don't need to have all of those skills? Because I think sometimes I've heard people say, well, I didn't apply because I don't have all of them. And you go, well, actually, no one will. And that's the difference between sometimes somebody's confident rather than competent. They go, oh, I'll just apply, where somebody might be competent and able to do it, but is very realistic and and very and sees things very actually, uh, doesn't apply at all. So I think our job descriptions need to improve. Our virtual hiring processes need to be fair and accessible. We need to be thinking about uh, the, our communication style so that if we are interviewing people that it is accessible, that we we, pre, we prepare for that, for the candidate as well, that we don't think uh, you can't communicate well. Well, does it matter? Because is the job about communication skills? And I think sometimes we've been very biased about interviews, those who get the job are those who communicate well, when might be an IT job which is not customer-facing. You know, so we can get better at this. And I think virtual systems can allow some of that training to take place as well. So we've got a bit of learning to do, I think. Um, and candidates, those who are looking for jobs, I think employment organisations need to ensure that people feel confident and have got the skills to do that. So there may be a bit of skills training on both sides. The point around um, testing the right skills is is so true. I often think that traditional interviews just test your ability to sell yourself. They don't actually test the job that you'd be doing. So unless that's going to be your role, then it's it's not a very good a very good test at all. And um, I think there's also something around being really clear in the questions that you that you ask. So I have known um, candidates with autism who answer the question, "Tell me about yourself." with an entire life history yeah. or another person that um, I knew would then use that as an example of, of to say all the things that he wasn't good at um, and another would say that's a really silly question what do you really want to know and of course what you really want to know is why do you want this job what skills do you have so that you'd be able to do this job don't you you don't want yeah so just being really really clear what you're asking I think is is really really important and of course, once in the workplace, many neurodiverse individuals may not want to talk about that, but they may need to if they have communications differences or preferences to, to be able to, to work with their teammates and for them to understand that. So, so how can we encourage individuals to share their neurodiversity with their teammates and how might line mon managers model what they want to see in their teams? Well, I think in most organisations, we need to start from the top. You need to have confidence that if I share, I don't like the term disclose particularly because it's about revealing secrets, which is, you know, in a sense. So I think to be able to share something about myself and feel confident in saying, can you help me with this? I need to feel confident that what's going to happen is going to be okay. And that the consequence of my my revealing about myself doesn't mean that there's going to be a change in the way somebody deals with me, communicates with me. So I think that's got to start at the top. I think leadership saying we are a neurodiverse organisation, that our attitudes, our culture, our communication styles are to help and be inclusive for all. 
and it's not a tick box. So we're not doing neurodiversity this year and LGBTQ next year, tick, tick, tick. Yeah, we've done it. So, and, and you know, as much as there's many organisations doing an amazing job, I think sometimes we've had a bit of that in the past. I think we're moving forward to a much more inclusive approach, which is great because not everybody ticks one box. This is the, the wonderful thing about people. We're all very messy you know, in many ways. So I need to feel that I can have that conversation with my line manager and say, can you help me? So that has come from the top. It also means my line manager needs to feel confident that uh, I am not worried about saying the wrong thing. So that's really important as well. So that, uh, that might be about training, it might be about not realizing that you have to be a um, an expert in everything. So your line manager can't be an expert in asthma, epilepsy, diabetes, dyslexia, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. You wouldn't expect that person to be, but you would expect that your line manager to be able to have an open conversation with you. That means I will feel more confident of having an open conversation with you because it's about me in the context of my work and it's person-centered. Absolutely. And focusing on removing barriers and also just what any individual needs to be as productive as they can be in the workplace. And that's true for, for every single person. And as, as you so rightly say, we, we don't all sit neatly in one box. Thank goodness, because wouldn't that be boring? Um, and that whole piece around two-way trust and confidence, which absolutely is, is cultural and has to be led from the top. I think your point around language is spot on. Um, I often say that uh, you would disclose points on your driving license or declare that you were smuggling something through customs. It doesn't sound like something positive, does it? So yeah, tell or share. So, so much better in having a neutral conversation. So this is a massive sort of question, but what, what are the main do's and don'ts for line managers who manage neurodiverse employees and how might a neurodiverse manager work with their teams in the changing landscape of the workplace? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I told you it's a big question, sorry. Not a, not a small question, right. I'll try and take it fast. <laughs> okay, so what are the main do's and don'ts for line managers who manage neurodiverse individuals? So I think the first thing is never make assumptions. So I think what we've seen in the past is sometimes people, I've heard people go, autistic people are all good at IT, you know, so no, <laughs> that's not true. So it, it's sort of saying some people are interested in IT and some people who are interested in IT are autistic, but you can't link the two together. So I think that's the first thing. Don't make assumptions. Ask the person. That is the biggest do of all. You know, it really is. So don't make assumptions. Do ask the person that a different job, a different context, a different home life will mean that person's needs, wants are going to be completely different. Is that neurodiversity is messy in the senses that we look at neurodivergent conditions and we're just going so reversing into the medical model for a second, just because people will say, I am autistic or I have dyslexia or I have ADHD, they all overlap. So this reality of this person coming and saying, I have dyslexia, might actually be the label they've been given at a time and point, but it may not represent who they are. So I think that's the other thing is why it's so important to say, 
tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me about what support you require and then be able to signpost that person to the appropriate support. You do not need to be the expert in everything. And that allows the line manager not to feel nervous about getting it wrong. Is that, you know, it's having a dialogue, you'll never get it wrong. Assuming things, I've heard people say, well, we've got beige paper and it's in, you know, we're not using Times Roman, so we're doing that dyslexia stuff, right? So, it, it, and that would be lovely if it was true, but it's not. You know? So I think it is about saying, in this point of time, what do you need? And if, if I don't know, we'll go and find out. So it's a bit of honesty. Um, it is working out for that person in the context of their job and also recognising you've done it today, but something might change like we've had in the last few months. So reasonable adjustments that might have worked for your office space might be different working from home. So this isn't a one-off conversation like with all our employees. Is it, It's an evolving one that says, okay, where are you now in your job? What are your job needs? What support do you require? That's a similar conversation you would do with everybody. And again, it goes back to being person-centered. You may need some expertise in-house. You may need to signpost to further resources like your toolkit, you know, so organizations like the BDF are being able to people to call on to know where to get that information because every workplace won't have that expertise and it's knowing about how to signpost appropriately but it's having starting point is tell me how I can help that whole point around a dialogue and a conversation is is so important and so helpful and you're so right that we wouldn't expect people to be experts in well all sorts of things as a manager actually and just getting that message across that it doesn't have to be difficult because we know that people shy away from the conversation because they think it's going to be difficult so they don't have it which then means that barriers don't get removed misunderstandings can happen and it's yeah it's not good and absolutely do not go down the route of trying to diagnose somebody <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely not. But the point around just the barriers and the productivity and the support in the context of the job and also your very, very important point that support needs change and it doesn't have to be something as dramatic as COVID and working from home. It could just be other life events, couldn't it? Or it could be a changing dynamic in the team or, or just something and checking in on the effectiveness of any adjustments you've made and whether they are still working and what else you might need or what might be better is, is really important. So, yeah, that, that ongoing conversation. I think, sorry, Dan, one, one thing to add on to that is um, sometimes it does take time for things to bed in. And I think one of the do bits is give people time to work out with you what adjustments will be helpful. And it may be a learning process for the person. Not everybody knows, because if I'm going into a new work environment, I've never been in that work environment, I can't actually tell you what I may need because I don't know what I may need in that work environment because I've never been there before. So sometimes um, I'm hearing attention that there's a understanding, well, we've given you that, so why can't you do your job now? And maybe it's just allowing that it takes time for change and skills, confidence, to be able to work out what's what's working. Um, and again, that goes back to your continuing dialogue. Is it working? Is it not? What else do we need to do? Do you need a bit more training? So it's again, it's that dialogue we need to continue to have. And uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking back to an experience I had 
quite a few years ago before I was at BDF and I employed a new member of staff um, who had autism, but she hadn't told me. Um, and no reason why she should do necessarily. And she used to bounce into my office for scheduled um, one-to-one meetings and she'd always have an agenda and we'd have a great chat. It was great. If I went into her office um, unexpectedly and said, how are you? She would look terribly surprised and look as though I was sort of maybe going to tell her off for something and say, fine, and clearly be very uncomfortable. She then told me that she had autism. And then I thought, she just doesn't doesn't like being surprised. She likes yeah. me to email her and then we schedule something and then it's fine. And I mean, she was great because she was extremely clear about what she needed and very open with other people. But actually, in, in hindsight, just having a conversation that is she likes meetings to be scheduled and she likes emails rather than ad hoc conversations sprung on her. That would have been fine. That would have been enough. So it's often just really little things that make a huge, huge difference, isn't it? I think so. And I think the and I think that's one of the things for employers is the cost of adjustments is usually minor, it's small. Well, they're they're seemingly minor but have a major effect. And I think that's the bit, which is often they don't cost much, but attitudinally can have an enormous impact and can increase confidence, increase productivity and everything else. I think one I've come up with another don't as well. Okay. <laughs> so I think the other don't is uh don't say I know someone just like you because that's really irritating. (laughs) So, oh, my son's got dyslexia. I know all about dyslexia, da, 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 right? So one person's experience is very different from another and that you are not the expert in that condition uh, because you know someone who knows someone. Do you you know what I mean? So it goes back to that person-centered stuff, which is, don't assume don't make assumptions we're going back to that again which is each person's story will be different and that communication styles are something that yeah it's that conversation I prefer this and this works best for me and then having the conversation as a line manager saying yeah I prefer this so you know how I want to work so it does become a dialogue rather than a one-way communication form Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, that, that's a very good don't around assuming because that don't ends up in beige paper <laughs> as, a, as a panacea for all, whereas actually we know that one size doesn't fit all and we are all messy and we are all individual. And that's, yeah. the, that's the beauty and richness of, of humanity. Really? So clearly a, a fascinating and huge topic. Um, what do you think is the most effective way of getting getting the message out to lots of businesses and really spreading the word about neurodiversity? Well, we're really delighted over this period of time is to launch an e-learning courses. So embracing neurodiversity for everyone. This is online. It's accessible. Uh, it's got closed captioning and it allows everybody to have bite-sized understanding. It's not about a condition. It's around attitudes, values, communication, which means you could have those conversations. And we've also uh, developed a course for line managers, HR, DNI. And why we did that is that we need to have something bite-sized that people are busy. How do you get online? How do you access this information? How can we reach from SMEs to huge businesses? And that's why we've developed this. It's robust in terms of what it's saying, but it's also very practical in how it's being delivered. 
Well, it's it's a it's a brilliant product. So I encourage anyone listening to this to check it out, and um, you can always get in touch with us at BDF, and we can we can let you have the details. So thank you so much for joining me, Amanda. It's been brilliant chatting with you. I think we probably could go on for several hours, um, and I know that you could provide further support to our members and partners. Um, so that's fantastic. And we also have our own resources to support people listening, including our people manager guide on disabilities, which are not immediately visible. And of course, most importantly, our neurodiversity to neurodiversity toolkit. Um, again, our sincere thanks to all those who contributed their time, expertise and content to help us create it. So that was BBC Cape, Santander, PwC, HSBC, Oracle, do It Profiler, G Genius Within, Willis Towers Watson and Lexic. So that's all for today. Um, again, my big thanks to Professor Amanda Kirby for being my guest for the first of our business disability debates on neurodiversity. And joining me for future podcasts will be Nancy Doyle of Genius Within, Nicola James of Lexic and Stuart Blair from Text Help. So do look out for those. This episode of the Business Disability Debates podcast series was brought to you by our sponsor, HSBC. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's podcast, then head over to businessdisabilityforum.org.uk to find out more about our resources and services. And why not give us a comment or rating on iTunes or just tell a colleague or friend about us. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Acast or Spotify and look for Business Disability Forum podcasts and subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. 